This is a Commitment 2020 special, the WLWT debates. Tonight, the race for Ohio's first congressional district between Congressman Steve Shabbat and Kate Schroeder. Here now, Cherie Palello. Good evening. Tonight, one of the hardest fought, most closely watched races in America. We have both candidates running to represent Ohio's first congressional district that covers much of Hamilton County and Warren County. Joining us tonight is the incumbent Republican Congressman Steve Shabbat. Mr. Shabbat is a lifelong Cincinnatian, a graduate of LaSalle High School and the College of William and Mary with a law degree from NKU. In his life before politics, Mr. Shabbat taught at St. Joseph's School as well as UC. He's now serving his 12th term in Congress and lives in Westwood. His challenger is Kate Schroeder. Ms. Schroeder is also a Cincinnati native. Her family has been here for five generations. She graduated from Ursuline Academy and Indiana University. She's worked in legislative politics and for the past 15 years as a health care leader at the local and the national level. Ms. Schroeder is a cancer survivor and lives in Clifton. So welcome to both of you and thanks for being here just two weeks from tonight, election night. We're glad you could join us. Thank you. Over the next hour, we're going to talk about a number of issues impacting people in the first district. We're going to begin with opening statements from each of you tonight. And by virtue of a coin toss, Ms. Schroeder, you have the first opening statement. You now have one minute and a half. Thank you, Shree. Thanks to Channel 5 and to all of our viewers who are tuning in. As a cancer survivor, healthcare is really personal to me, and it's why I'm running. My opponent has voted over 15 times to take healthcare away and against coverage for pre-existing conditions. And it's not okay to play politics with people's lives. As you will hear tonight, he will try to paint me to be someone I'm not. He wants you to believe that I'm an extremist and it's just not who I am. I'm a fifth generation Cincinnatian who was raised on the values of hard work and helping others. And while he votes 95% of the time with Trump, there is literally no one that I agree with 95% of the time. You can ask my husband, John. And we have so many real and pressing problems in our country right now, and we're not gonna solve them with the status quo. For too long, we have been electing leaders that divide us. And I believe the majority of Americans want leaders that bring us together and get things done. I am a low ego mom who knows how to deescalate. I have a five and seven year old, I do it every day. And that's the attitude that I wanna to bring to Congress. I'm also a Wharton MBA who has spent my career bringing business skills to public health, reducing drug prices and expanding treatment access. And in Congress, I will work tirelessly for this district to deliver results in healthcare, in jobs, in investment and in infrastructure. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight and I look forward to getting into the questions. All right, thanks so much. And now for your opening statement, Mr. Shabbat. Thank you, Cherie, and uh, thank you for uh, holding this, and thank you for all the folks that are watching this at home this evening. Um, this has been a tough year uh, for all of us here in Cincinnati and our state and the country, really all over the, the world uh, with COVID. Uh, it's obviously in our country alone taken the lives of over 220,000 of our fellow Americans now. Um, I've supported the legislation from the CARES Act to a, a number of other pieces of legislation to help this country deal with this, to get us through 
through this as much as possible and as safely as possible. Um, in the CARES Act, for example, we had funding for hospitals and doctors and nurses and first responders uh, and local communities, and it's really helped a lot. Um, the other thing that was in there was something called the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, I'm the lead Republican, the ranking member of the House Small Business Committee. I helped to craft that and to implement it, and I'm proud to say that our district received more money, about $3 billion. We got more small businesses who got loans, over 17,000, and most importantly, uh, a quarter of a million jobs were saved, and that means those families had jobs uh, to, to support them. Um, I was going to be very positive in this open statement, but my opponent has already attacked me for allegedly voting against pre-existing conditions. It's just not true. I voted for the American Health Care Act, which had pre-existing conditions. I've offered legislation that specifically makes sure that pre-existing conditions are covered. She says, I vote too much with the president. I can guarantee if she ever makes it to Congress, she's going to vote with Nancy Pelosi probably 100% of the time or with those radical leftists. She'll fit right in with them. Thank you. All right, Mr. Shabbat, thank you. So now to the question and answer portion of our debate. Every question tonight has been prepared by myself or our staff here at WLWT. Neither candidate, of course, was given any of the questions or topics in advance of tonight. Each of you, again, will have a minute and a half to answer each question. If I need to ask a follow-up, you will then each be given 30 seconds to uh, rebut. So let's get things underway. I think we have a lot to get through tonight. Let's first start, and, and Ms. Schroeder, it's going to first be directed at you about the campaign allegations, and you guys have already gotten started with this in your opening statements. Now, both of you making some serious allegations about each other, so I have separate questions for each of you. Ms. Schroeder, you accuse Mr. Shabbat of misusing campaign funds, but in July, an FBI investigation exonerated the Shabbat campaign as well as Congressman Shabbat. The investigation traced the fraud to a former campaign manager, allegedly. So why are you endorsing ads? And, and in fact, I even had a letter that came to my house that the FBI found to be untrue. You have a minute and a half. Yes, thank you, Shri. The FBI is investigating Shabbat's campaign. There's 123,000 that went missing last year, and they've opened an investigation. So we very much stand by that and feel that it's important for voters to know that 123,000 went missing. And he also had a campaign treasurer. So as a candidate, you have to have a treasurer who signs off on your quarterly financial reports. He had a treasurer for eight years that was signing off on his reports. They put out a statement saying he never knew he was treasurer. So I don't know any CEO that has gone eight years without talking to their CFO. And I think voters deserve answers in terms of where are the missing funds from his campaign. This is an important thing for, for voters to know about. He also has been paying his son-in-law nearly $200,000 for website support services. And that is eight times above market rate. And so these are important things that I think it is important for the voters to know about this. And the last thing I'll say on the FBI investigation is that last year, Congressman Shabbat made a lot of statements about the importance of accountability and that a candidate should be responsible and that account accountability, quotes starts at the top. And it is a very different story that he is saying this year when he wants to distance himself from any actions of his campaign. And so when the FBI says they exonerate the campaign, should he then be cleared? The FBI is not exonerate the campaign. The FBI is continuing to investigate the missing funds. And so it is not, I'm not attacking him personally. I am saying the campaign has 123,000, okay. and that is the ongoing investigation. Great, thank you. Mr. Shabbat, I want to talk about some of the endorsements that 
in the commercials that have been running that you endorse. Now, you accuse Schroeder of being responsible for scandals that cost taxpayers thousands of dollars and hurt our pandemic response. But a spokesperson, a spokeswoman for the health department says the $2.7 million shortfall was not the result of any mismanagement. It was an estimate of potential high expenses for COVID and also the fact that the city of Cincinnati uh, has cut its budget by 40%. So again, my question, why run these ads that are found to be untrue? Well, that was one of the union leaders who supports hers has said that. But if you read the Enquirer article, they indicated that Ms. Schroeder, who was the head of the finance committee at the city health department, that there was a $2.7 million deficit. And healthcare workers said that deficit resulted in the city's pandemic response being jeopardized. So in other words, people in Cincinnati not as safe as they ought to be. That was on her. Um, in, in addition to that, she was also involved in a hiring scandal there, uh, a scheme basically that a Hamilton County judge ruled was unethical. That's on her. And then finally, uh, she, she basically politicized uh, the pandemic. She wrote an uh, op-ed to the Cincinnati Enquirer that they published uh, in February of this year, uh, attacking the president, attacking me on COVID, politicizing it. And it turns out three days prior to that, the city had a main meeting deciding how they're gonna handle COVID. Uh, and she skipped the meeting, her job, that's what she did. Now, in response to a couple things that she said, I was the victim of a crime. Um, the FBI has basically made very clear that, that I was a victim. Cincinnati Enquirer said what she's saying is not true. She had to pull her first day, which is really rare in politics. She's basically replaced it with more lies, just using uh, different words. Uh, as far as the, the website she's talking about, she says, I paid too much. She pays twice as much for her digital services as we do. She says it's a clunky website. We won the award for the best congressional website in the country. So what she's saying is just false. Okay, I have a feeling you would like to respond. You have 30 seconds. You each have 30 seconds. Ms. Schroeder. Great, thank you. As the congressman knows, the health department never had a deficit deficit, it's not legally allowed to. He's a former city council member. He knows that. Every department in the city is required to have a balanced budget, and the health department's budget has been balanced. That figure was an estimate of losses. It was not a deficit. The budget's been balanced. And uh, we just also say that the meeting I missed, the one meeting that I've missed, was weeks before the first COVID case, and it was go to go to an NAACP forum. And it is important for me to show up at these forums. And I noticed that you actually were did not show up at the NAACP. ACP forum this year. Time, Mr. Shabbat. She says the one meeting she missed, she didn't talk about any other meeting she missed, which she did. Um, relative to her campaign, her entire campaign has been based on a lie. Uh, and that's, and it's really unfortunate, it's really disappointing. I hit a race with Roxanne Qualls years ago. It was mayor of Cincinnati at the time. It's a close race. It was a very high level. We disagreed on a whole range of things, just like we do. She's a radical leftist, but she's chosen to attack me for something that somebody else uh, did. And it's just really unfortunate because we ought to be focused on the issues and how we can help the people of this district. I feel like this next question <laughs> goes right into the flow of what we're seeing here already, and that is, negative politics. You know, we just watched the presidential debate and we kind of joked about it before we went on air here two weeks ago about how nasty it was, uh, perhaps the most negative we have ever seen in history. People I talk with, and I'm sure you talk with, say they're sick of the negative campaigning on both sides of the aisle. So what do you say to that person in the middle right now who's watching this debate tonight, seeing more of the same, who watch these ads that are so biting? What do you say 
say to win that person over, Mr. Shabbat? You have a minute and a half. Yeah, I think everybody dislikes negative advertisement. I certainly do. I've had a lot of negative ads run against us this time. We've had groups on both sides running negative ads. I'll tell you the way I operate in Congress, because that's where I've been for a while now, representing the people of this district. I always do it in a bipartisan manner. I always, whenever I introduce a piece of legislation, I don't go looking for Republican co-sponsors. I go for a Democratic co-sponsor. You have a lot better chance of getting things passed that way. And that's one of the reasons I've been so effective. Uh, the University of Virginia, and Vanderbilt have done studies on Congress. Who are the most effective members of Congress? And in the last two studies that they've done, I've come in number six and number nine, and, and this isn't the Senate where there are only 100 members. There are 435 members. So to be sixth and ninth is pretty good when you talk about effectiveness and getting legislation done, getting things done for the people of your district. And when you talk about getting things done for the people of our district, I mentioned this in the opening statement, but let me talk about this again. The PPP program, there were so many small businesses in our community that were gonna go under, and the people that were working for them weren't gonna have jobs, they weren't gonna be able to support their families. I'm the lead Republican on that committee. I'm the former chairman of that committee, last two Congresses, and I worked very closely with the Democratic chairwoman. We crafted this legislation. Our district, more small businesses got loans, over 17,000. We got more money, almost $3 billion, and most importantly, more jobs were saved. 256,000 jobs. Those are real people out there. Our district did better than all the other districts in Ohio, and there are 16 of them, so that's pretty good. Ms. Schroeder. Thank you. Yes, I could not agree more that we need to bring civility and decency back into politics. It's why I'm running. I've never been a particularly political person. I'm not an ideologue. I believe we need people that get involved and raise their hand to serve this community and whose focus is on going there to stand up and be a champion for this community. So that's what motivates me to run. It is incredibly disappointing that there are all these attack ads running. We are only running, my campaign is only running positive ads about my about what I stand for. And I also believe, stand by the accuracy of all the ads that are out there. On the contrary, he is only running negative ads against me, and they are, every one of them is not true. Uh, but I will say what motivates me is healthcare. It is, and that's why I'm going there. I'm going there to be part of this group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, where you can only join with a member of the other party. And it's important for me, I've always been someone, I have an MBA that works with people from all perspectives. That's how you get things done. So I want to work with businesses. I want to build relationships in my own party, across party lines, with community leaders in all levels of government, because that's how we get things done for this community. And that's what motivates me to do this. And it's about standing up particularly on health care and expanding access to health care, especially when we're in a pandemic. It is incredibly upsetting that we have leaders that are working to take it away. All right, let's move on to, to something uh, absolutely. She, um, she said that uh, in the last debate that I haven't run any positive ads. She just talked about all these negative ads being run against her. I can assure you there are a whole lot of negative ads being run against me. But the, I'll tell you one ad that we had was very positive. We had our Democratic sheriff, Jim Neal. This is a Democrat who said a lot of nice things about me and why he supports me and not my opponent. Very, very positive ad because she, her votes, not votes, but her policies have been to undermine the police. Mine have been to make sure that we have safe communities. That's why we're endorsed by the FOP and the Democratic Sheriff of Hamilton County. All right, Ms. Schroeder, you have 30 seconds. Yes, and I'm very grateful to be endorsed by the Sentinels Black Police Association and believe that we can also be pro-public safety and pro-fair and partial policing. And I've always been somebody that, again, wants to bring people together and get things done. So it's, um, it's unfortunate that I'm running against someone who 
this is his playbook. You know, he's for 24 years against Roxanne, against Aftab, against John Cranley, David Mann, all of these races, his his approach and strategy is to do negative, misleading ads against his opponent rather than running on his record. All right, time. Let's move on to this pandemic as it affects every single one of us every single day lately. So just last week, the governor, Governor DeWine, said that he expects the pandemic to get worse before it gets better. Today, he held a news conference echoing the same thing, even saying that there's a possibility that schools may start to shut down more and more schools if we start, if we continue to see these rising numbers. So if it does get worse, where do you stand? Should we shut down businesses again or has enough damage to the economy already been done? Ms. Schroeder, you have 90 seconds. Yeah, thanks, Sheree. So I think one of the really important things we need to do up front is acknowledge it's not a choice between public health and the economy, that these are interrelated, that the stronger our public health response, the sooner and more safely we can reopen the economy. And so we have to look at these hand in hand. And people are suffering right now. As you know, I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, a kindergarten and second grader, who had not been in person school for six months until last Tuesday. They went back for the first time. They're in Cincinnati Public Schools and they're in a hybrid plan. So they were going two days. And my kindergartner, Tuesday morning, I'm saying, what are you excited about for your first day of kindergarten? He says, Mom, we won't have to mute and unmute. We can just stop talking. Because half of a kindergarten class, they're trying to deal on virtual, they're trying to deal with mute and unmute. We need relief in this community. We need support to our schools. We need support for widespread testing so that all of our schools and businesses can stay open safely. We need support for our small businesses in extending the PPP. We need unemployment insurance. And I believe that we have to look at these hand in hand with our public health and with our economic response. And we need leaders, you know, the Congressman has voted twice against additional relief bills. We have women falling out of the workplace. One in four women have either left the workplace or had to reduce their hours to deal with childcare responsibilities. And all the parents I know are on the verge of tears every day just trying to get through the day. And so we need leaders, that it's not Democrat or Republican, we need leaders that stand up and bring relief to this community. Should we shut down again if the numbers stay like they are? And, and we're seeing record numbers each day. We have to be guided by the science. So we have to listen. There are very clear metrics on when your transmission, your community transmission level gets to a point where it is unsafe and it also depends on availability of testing because until you are able to have widespread testing where you can isolate the cases that are positive and get them out of transmission so we have to look at the metrics on what our community transmission is positivity rates and testing availability All right so uh, mr shabbat i ask you what is your plan if it does get worse if this pandemic continues to gradually grow where do you stand on this issue well the last thing we want to do is shut down the entire economy again. Uh, we learned a lot of lessons from doing that. We do need to follow the medical experts' advice on this and work closely with them. That's what I've done. Wear a mask whenever I'm out and try to set an example. Um, now, she mentioned that oh, the congressman voted against two bills on, on this. Uh, let me tell you what she's talking about. Uh, Pelosi put up a very partisan bill on the floor that was $3.3 trillion, which was far more than the CARES Act, which was around $2.2 trillion, so a huge spending bill. Uh, and what did it do? You remember the direct payments, the $1,200 and the $2,400 direct payments that people got? This would allow those direct payments to go to people here that are illegally here. So Ms. Schroeder's okay. She's attacking me for not voting for a bill that allows your tax dollars to go to illegal immigrants. Another thing that it did was it driver's license. When we vote, we show them our driver's license or some photos so we can show we are who we say we are. 
it took away all the states' ability to make sure that people that are there, why would they want to do that? Fraud is what they want. So I'm not going to vote for that. That's okay with her. But COVID is very serious. We need to defeat this virus. We need to get a vaccine as soon as possible. That's why I have supported funding in the CARES Act. That's why I want another round. Uh, I'm the one fighting against Pelosi who's blocking this for a second round of PPP loans for those small businesses who didn't get one the first time or those that are really hurting who need one this time so they can keep their people employed. That's really important. And let me just clarify, if Governor DeWine next week says we need to shut down again, you would say yes or no to that? I've worked, I've worked very closely with Governor DeWine as I have with county officials and city officials and village officials, et cetera. I don't think Governor DeWine's going to make that decision, but I certainly would take that into consideration. But that's up to him. We have federalism in this country, which means that there's a federal level, and I'm on the task force for reopening America, doing it safely, businesses and the schools, et cetera. We want to do that, but do it safely. But we left it up to the states because rural Mississippi is very different from New York, okay. for example. Okay, let's let's focus now on small businesses because when we talk about the economy and we talk about shutting things down, we're talking about people's lives. I can't tell you how many people I've met, business owners, that have either shut down altogether or who are still in fear of shutting down. And in part, it, they blame this 10 o'clock curfew, the last call mandate uh, for alcohol that Governor DeWine has mandated. What will you do to help these business owners, A, recover, and do you agree with this 10 o'clock last call that so many restaurants and business owners are asking to be lifted? Mr. Shabbat, you have 90 seconds. If I were making the call, yes, I think I would probably allow them to go a, a little later, but that's the governor's call. And I respect him because that's their position. And I think Governor DeWine uh, has done, I think, a better job than a lot of the other governors across the, uh, the country, but but I respect his choices and he's been relying upon the medical experts and I think that's what we ought to do. I don't think Congress or the president ought to weigh in and tell the states what they ought to do, but I do think we ought to support them uh, as we have been doing. Um, and you mentioned those small businesses that are really kind of hurting. That's why I want to get a second round for them, especially for, for those in uh, economically disadvantaged community. I've been working with the African American Chamber of Commerce here for minority businesses to make sure that they get, they get loans. But let me tell you about a place called Schmoe's Automotive out on the west side. It's right down the street from St. Al's. Um, the owner uh, had died. He, he had liver cancer, passed away. Um, I met with his wife and with their manager. They got a PPP loan. It saved the business and it saved all those jobs. I was out there recently. Uh, Sweethearts, which is out in Corain Township off Corain Avenue. Uh, Judy is the owner of, of that place out there. And she said, we don't make a lot of money here, uh, but we have, we have happiness and we have good food. It's got a lot of senior citizens. They got a PPP loan. It saved the business and saved the jobs. And then also iSpace is another one. This is a STEM uh, program, you know, uh, science and technology and engineering for our kids so they can become scientists and astronauts and that kind of thing. They were going to go out of existence. They're now still operating because of the PPP. So this really meant a lot to people's lives. Ms. Schroeder. Thank you. Yeah, people are suffering now, as you're talking about. I have a lot of friends that are involved in restaurants and small businesses. And like you're saying, they are struggling to keep the doors open. They are building patios to be able to take advantage of the time that's outdoors. But, you know, as this cold weather is starting to come in, they're afraid of what's going to happen. How are they going to get through this winter? And they need additional relief. It's we need to spend less time talking about giving ourselves pats on the back for what's been done and focus on the problems before us now and continuing to provide relief and rela restaurants in particular. We're losing about one a day here in in the Cincinnati area. And it's estimated that 85 percent 
of independent restaurants could be closed by the end of the year if additional relief is provided. And the PPP was set up to be uh, a loan that likely will be forgiven, but it's not clear. And it's really hard for these restaurants that are trying to decide, should I take on more debt? How do I move forward? So we need additional relief to small businesses, particularly in the form of grants for some of the restaurants, because they cannot get by on additional loans. They will have to close. Um, they're, they're very staff dependent, and they need to flex their staffing based on demand. And so I do think it is incredibly important that we support this. And on the 10 o'clock curfew, sorry, I almost forgot on that one. Um, I, that is not something I've looked into, but I would like to look at the public health data on that. Is there really a transmission reason that we need to continue um, to continue to keep it at that time? Because I would, I, it's having economic consequences for some of our businesses that do worry me. And so I think that's something I would like to look at. Thank you. Okay, so we've sort of gone into the economy here and uh, talk about a second stimulus. So let's talk about that, you know, for months, and months it's been held up unfortunately when we're talking about workers who are unemployed who still need these benefits and and frankly a way to put food on the table for some families so should a second stimulus be granted why or why not miss schroeder Yes, it's incredibly important. People need support now. They don't know how they're paying their rent checks. They don't, you know, people are unsure if they're going to have their job. And as I was saying earlier, so many parents, and particularly women, are falling out of the workplace because of the child care consequences of this. So I believe very strongly that we need to have an additional uh, relief package. And there are a number of components of that. It is support to our schools. And it is support to all of our frontline workers to ensure that they have the personal protective equipment that they need to be able to open, not just in healthcare, but our cashiers and everybody working on the front lines has the support they need. We need the testing infrastructure so that everybody has access to widespread testing. We have antibody testing that's gonna be the rapid test and much more accessible. And it's important that that's available because that's part of being able to fully reopen the economy as well. Extended unemployment insurance, extension of PPP as well, and support to the postal service is really important as well during this, which is something uh, my opponent has voted against too. Mr. Shabbat. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we definitely do need a second round, and it's something she's talking about. I'm actually working on it to try to accomplish this. Thus far, Speaker Pelosi has been blocking it for political reasons, um, but we need to get this done, and I'm working on that now. We're going through something called a discharge process where we're trying to get enough signatures to go over the, the Speaker's head and actually bring it up for, on the floor, because both Republicans and Democrats are would support it, but she doesn't want the President to have a victory this close to the election. It'll happen right after. After the election, but we ought to do it now because people are hurting now. They'll be hurting more then, but we ought to get it passed uh, now. And and getting the economy moving again, that, that is really critical. Um, and that's why I'm for lower taxes, why I voted for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, why I want to reduce regulations. My opponent, however, uh, is for this radical left-wing Green New Deal, um, which would do terrible things to the economy. It would jack for example, taxes up to about 70%. Think if your taxes at the federal income level were 70%. That's what she's for, the Green New Deal. She may deny it, but we've got her on videotape where she's being asked, do you support the Green New Deal? And she says, oh yeah, yeah. And then she says, it's the only thing that matters. I mean, think of that. The only thing that matters is passing this radical Green New Deal. Um, it, and so if that's so important, what about the police officers that are out on the street defending us? What about teachers that are going into the classrooms? What about our frontline nurses and doctors that are dealing with COVID patients? 
isn't what they do matter? She thinks only this radical left-wing environmental Green New Deal matters. All right, time. I have a Good. feeling you'd like to respond. I would like to respond to that. Thank you, Shri. I mean, this is what's the problem with Washington is the congressman has political consultants that say, if you say this, you'll be able to win. And, and so he misrepresents my view on issue after issue. I do not support the Green New Deal. He's taking my, my statements out of context. I've been very clear on the record. I don't support it. What I did say and what he's referring to is that climate change, if we don't address climate change, nothing else uh, will matter because we will not have our Earth. So I, I don't support the Green New Deal. I do support meaningful steps to address climate change. And I will say what we need in Washington is not people that are there blaming and name calling. We need people that go there and say, OK, I don't like the bill you're putting forth. Here's what will work. Let's be solutions oriented. OK, Mr. Shabby, yeah, 30 seconds. Ms. Schroeder, you said that's the problem with Washington. That's the problem with you. You're the one that says something in front of one group. And now you come up here and say something entirely different. It's your words that said you were for this. Whether you want to call it the Green New Deal is apparently now you don't want to or whether you just want to call it your uh, radical left-wing climate policy. It's essentially the same thing. It's just like Medicare for all, which would bankrupt Medicare, and our seniors really depend on that. She said she's for Medicare for all. She clearly said it, and now she's saying she's not. She hasn't said it yet tonight, but she will shortly. All right, let's move up. on here. So you're talking about these frontline workers, and Mr. Shabbat, you specifically talking about uh, our, our men and women on the front lines, our police officers and emergency workers. There are calls as you know, to defund the men and women who protect us. We know now that defunding the police does not mean eliminating any police department, but it does mean rearranging the budget and allocating some of the money toward some other very important issues. So what's your stance on defunding police? And if you are for it, what would you do with that money, Mr. Shabbat? Well, we absolutely should not defund the police. If anything, we ought to be supporting our police officers more. They're the front line. They're out on the streets making sure that we're safe in our homes and in our communities. Um, so I've consistently been for safer neighborhoods over the years. That's why I'm endorsed by the FOP. Ms. Schroeder is not. That's why I'm endorsed by the Democratic Sheriff of Hamilton County, uh, Jim Neal. He's endorsed me, not his fellow Democrat, um, Ms. Schroeder here. Um, her policies are just radical on police as well. It would make us all less safe. For example, she supported the Democrat bill after the horrific George Floyd killing never should have happened, never should happen in this country, and those police officers should be held accountable, and they will be. Um, but the Democrats came back with this qualified immunity, getting rid of it. That means every police officer in the country could be sued personally for every confrontation they have. There aren't, shootings aren't the principal confrontations they have. If they're out on a DUI or a domestic violence, there's lots of times where hands are put on people to control them. They could be sued left and right. Who's gonna to wanna to be a police officer if they can come after your home, your retirement, your savings, and that kind of thing? That's what she's for. She's also for taking away cash bail, meaning you have more criminals, even violent criminals, out on the street. That's what she's for. And and then finally, they tried to defund the police here in Cincinnati. There was a charter ballot that they tried to put on here. It would have taken us down from 36% is what the city spends for police now, down to 25%. Pretty significant drop. And she would not speak out on behalf of not doing that. I spoke out loud and clear. She wouldn't. Time. Thank you, Ms. Schroeder. 90 seconds. Yeah, thank you. I don't support defunding the police. The congressman knows that. And I think we do have... A situation in our country though where we it's irresponsible to paint these as two alternatives i think we can be pro public safety and also be pro fair impartial policing 
I'm a white woman. I have tremendous privilege because of the color of my skin. My lived experience is very different than if I was a black woman. And we have to acknowledge that. And there are differences in, in our daily realities because of the color of our skin. And I think Cincinnati's in a unique position here. So I was actually a council aide down in City Hall in April of 2001 when an unarmed black man, Timothy Thomas, was killed. And we had civil unrest as a result of that. And it was a hard time for Cincinnati. We had the Black United Front and the Department of Justice came in and the police department all came together and worked together on the collaborative agreement. And I'm proud of the progress that Cincinnati has made on that. We've done a lot of the things, what I'm advocating for federally is a lot of the steps that we've done here, banning the chokehold and the stranglehold. It's having increased reporting. It's also having policies around de-escalation and use of force. And that's something that I think we should be looking at federally as well. But when we're talking about these injustices, to me, it's not just looking at our police and criminal justice system. It's much more broad. We have injustices also in our health care, in our education, in our housing, access to capital, too. And, and can I follow up? Absolutely. You can. Yeah, 30 I, seconds. I, I told you what was wrong with her. Now, let me tell you what I'm offering. Um, I offered legislation, and this was after the George Floyd killing, called the Safer Communities Act. It would principally do three things. She mentioned the Cincinnati Collaborative. That was a good thing where Cincinnati came together after the Timothy Thomas shooting and over the Rhine some year, two, back in 2001 clergy, police officers, community leaders. I want to make that a model to other communities across the country. Um, also, the disciplinary records for police right now. We don't want a bad cop. There aren't too many, but there are bad cops. We don't want them going from one community to another. So we need to make sure those disciplinary records are available. Okay, time is shorter, would, 30 yeah, seconds. Thank you. So I would like to say that one of the really important things that we need in our next relief package is aid to our state and local governments. And the congressman has voted against us. He voted against $829 million they would have gone to the city of Cincinnati, much of that to our frontline police and fire. We are facing the potential of layoffs as a city because of the decreased revenues. And so it's just another reason that it's important that we have members in Congress that are there not playing politics, but understanding our state and local governments need support for everyone on the front line. Right, certainly we dealt with the racial divide in 2001, but we saw it on our streets this year after the Breonna Taylor case, we mentioned the George Floyd case. So I ask both of you, in that case down in Louisville, while it wasn't in our area, voters certainly in your district have strong opinions about how the Breonna Taylor case played out. In fact, just last week, the city of Cincinnati was considering these no-knock warrants and banning no-knock no warrants. That's still on the table. They've not made a, de a decision, but it is under consideration right now. So I ask both of you, should any of those officers involved be directly charged in Breonna Taylor's death? Ms. Schroeder, 90 seconds. Yeah, so I haven't looked into the details of that case. I'm not in a position to make a, a decision, but I believe there should be accountability, right? That like any, to me, it's not just about police. It's any job that you have, there needs to be some level of accountability for your actions. All of us, you know, no matter what your job is, you have in Congress, it's, it's your elections, it's your town halls that you have to get feedback. And I think that it's important in the police to have that as well, and that there should be some level of accountability. And again, I think it's something where you can have, believe in you know, really supporting those who are on the front lines, protecting our public safety, but also simultaneously before fair and partial policing. These aren't, these aren't mutually exclusive, we can have both.
Mr. Shabbat. Thank you. Yeah, before I get into that question, I need to go back and respond to what something she said on, on my time here. She said that I voted against funding for state and local uh, officials. What she didn't mention is that I voted for the CARES Act, which included $150 billion for states and cities and others, and they've used that and they've said thank you innumerable times. Um, now, what she's talking about, I voted against. That's what I mentioned before, where Pelosi put this political bill that virtually only one Republican voted against. He wasn't running for re-election. He's up in New York because it was a total political thing that gave illegal immigrants those direct payments and it also took away our right in Ohio to have voter identification so there'd be more fraud in voting so that's what she's for that's what she just attacked me for voting against now as far as Breonna Taylor very unfortunate uh, situation we should let the courts we shouldn't be weighing in saying who's responsible who ought to be charged I've practiced law in this community for almost two decades and you, you don't want to get out in front of that so you want the grand jury and those that are most responsible uh, uh, to do that but relative to the no-knock legislation. This is something else that she just really doesn't understand. When police officers are going to a drug, this is a cartel, for example, in Texas or here in Cincinnati, a drug gang, you go in and you knock on the door in the, in the middle of the night, you're taking your own life at risk. It makes both the people in the apartment or house and the police officers less safe. So there are circumstances you have to get a judge's approval. They're rare, but sometimes no knocks are the safest for everybody involved in drug cases. All right, time. We're talking about police, and I want to move to school violence. More of our kids, luckily, are back in the classroom right now. Sadly, it won't be long before we have to deal with the threat of school violence yet again. Ms. Schroeder, you've said uh, active shooter drills should not be common at your four-year-old's preschool, now a five-year-old. Congressman Shabbat, I know that you helped pass legislation that doubles funding for school security, but what about making sure that a teenager can't get their hands on a gun? What specifically is your plan to reduce gun violence, Mr. Shabbat? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question, and we do want to reduce gun violence in this community and communities all over the country. And you mentioned uh, Parkland, it was, which was a terrible situation that happened uh, down in Florida you know, a while back. Um, approximately two years ago. Um, and when that happened, I mean, I, as everybody, was just shocked about this and felt so bad for those families that had their loved ones taken from them at such a young age. Um, and I, talk, I thought, well, what can I do about this? We've talked a lot about it. So I met with Dan Hills. Who's Dan Hills? He's the head of the FOP here in town. He knows a lot about law enforcement and what we can do to make our kids safer in schools and elsewhere. I said, what can we do? He said, well, one of the things that, that you need to realize, we have people here that are the experts in, in weaponry and being safe and defending the public, and that's our police officers, and they retire after about 25 years of service. They're still in their 50s. They work another 10, 20 years or so. He said we, those police officers can be school resource officers in schools to make them safer. So I thought, that sounds like a good idea. Worked on it, worked with a congressman from down in the Florida area who was a former sheriff. We came up with legislation uh, which allowed that funding for that so schools can get money for that. They can also get money for training teachers as to how to find out who are those kids out there where there's warning signs. Almost every one of these school shootings, there were things that had been missed. Kind of like the lights were shining. They were, they were online. They were threatening people. So we need to go after those. We also need to harden the schools, make sure that there are metal detectors. There are people there uh, who know how to handle shooting situations. So we passed that legislation and it's helping communities all over the country. That's what I did. All right, time. Thank you. And again, Ms. Schroeder, my question, what about making sure a teenager can't get their hands on a gun? So specifically, what is your plan to reduce gun violence? 
Yeah, thanks, Sri. This is an incredibly personal and important issue. As you mentioned, you know, when my youngest, Peter, was three, they were doing active shooter drills in his school. And as a parent picking up a three-year-old where the preschool teacher's like, oh, we're so sorry, they had an active shooter drill today. That is crazy. This is not who we are as a country. And I want to share a story similar to the background checks you talked about. Last year, I met a man. He's in his late 20s now, and he told me that he wanted to kill himself in his early 20s, and he went to a pawn shop to buy a gun, and he failed the background check because he had recently sought mental health services. And he said that if he had tried to buy that gun at a gun show or online, he wouldn't be here today because there are no background checks there. So we need background checks. We need to close the loophole in the background check, something that my opponent has voted against twice. My opponent has also taken more money from gun lobbyists than any member of the Ohio delegation. It is important that we have members in Congress that stand up and do the right thing. We are losing 100 Americans a day to gun violence. It is 11 times the rate of comparable countries, and it is not because people are different. We do not have the same common sense gun safety measures. And I will say, I like to make an analogy to cars. We had cars for a while before we had evidence that seatbelts would reduce car fatalities. And when seatbelts came out and showed they would reduce deaths, being pro seatbelt was not being anti-car ownership. I fundamentally believe we can be pro-gun ownership and pro-gun safety. And expanding background checks and having extreme protection orders are part of that. Mr. Shabbat, she yeah. says that you've taken more money from the gun lobbyists. Would you like to respond? Well, sure. She said some other things, too. I mean, I've been in Congress for most longer than most of the other members except for one in Ohio. So that's one of the principal reasons. I'm on the Judiciary Committee, which has jurisdiction relative to guns. People come to me and because I have a lot of uh, information and wisdom on this issue. She mentioned the gun shows. Um, only 1% of the crimes committed in this country the gun was purchased at a gun show. So that's just a red herring there. Um, relative to the vast majority of weapons that are sold in this country, there is a background check, and there ought to be. We need to, we need to make those even more strict as far as I'm concerned. All right, time, 30 seconds. Yeah, we need leaders that stand up and do the right thing and aren't voting because their donors are telling them to vote a certain way. So we need leaders that expand the background checks and that have the extreme protection orders. There is evidence that those are what we commonly known as red flag laws, that the majority, almost all of the school shootings could have been prevented with extreme protection orders. We need to fully fund the CDC to be able to research what is most effective in reducing gun violence. It's We've been prevented for many years to fully research this. If it was any other public health area where we had deaths that were 11 times the rate of other countries, we would be able to do that. All right. Let's talk about health care. During the Supreme Court hearings just last week, there was a lot of talk, of course, about doing away with Obamacare. And one of the big arguments day in and day out that I was hearing uh, people concerned and our senators concerned about pre-existing conditions, people, a lot of the senators holding up you know, pictures of people they know or their voters that they're worried about. So while, of course, it's the humane thing to do, and Ms. Schroeder, I know you are a cancer survivor, financially, it's hard to keep costs down for everyone. So I ask you, how do you do it? What is the answer? How do you keep the cost down and still take care of everyone? Ms. Schroeder. 
Yes, there are, the good news is there are ways to do it, right? By moving towards universal coverage, if everyone has access to healthcare, it gets the cost down because right now we pay for everyone when they show up in the emergency room uh, and you are paying for people on the back end rather than ensuring that people have coverage up front. The other area where you can really ensure, uh, get cost down is by negotiating on prescription drugs. This is something I did in my job where we are the only government in the world that I am aware of that does not negotiate on prescription drugs. When a company comes out with a new hepatitis C drug, for example, they set the price, even though the government's a number one buyer, they set the price for what the government pays. We are banned from negotiating. And evidence shows that if we were able to negotiate on just the top 200 drugs, we would be able to have savings of 342 billion. And this is an issue that my opponent here has voted against negotiating on prescription drugs, and in part, he's taken over a million from pharma and insurance companies. But I will say, as somebody who lives with a pre-existing condition, who has had a day in life where you get a diagnosis and your whole life changes in one day when you get this, everything that's stressing you out evaporates, access to healthcare is so fundamental. It is a human right. I believe everyone deserves access to it. And we need leaders that stand up and protect access to pre-existing conditions and protect access to health care. Mr. Shabbat, yeah. do you agree with doing away with the Affordable Care Act? And if so, what do you say to yeah. the Re mother on the west side sure, who's worried about it, her son? Replacing it with something better. And that's what I am for. Um, she keeps mentioning, oh, he took this money and so he votes the way the money goes. I would just note that in this last quarter, we raised more than we ever have in a quarter. We raised a little over $700,000. She raised $1.7 million. So apparently a lot of the folks out on the left wing coast out in, in uh, San Francisco and LA and on the East Coast, New York, they're putting huge amounts of money because they know she's gonna vote for the Green New Deal and a bunch of other leftist stuff. Now, relative to healthcare, it's absolutely critical. And the American people did deserve better than Obamacare. You remember when they were told about you can keep your health care plan. Some did, but a lot couldn't. You can keep your doctor. Some did, but a lot of didn't. So there were lies told about that. Um, but we're under Obamacare right now. So if people have complaints about health care, and I certainly do, the American people deserve better than Obamacare has delivered for us. And there are all kinds of things that we need to improve on. We need to reduce prescription drug prices. I'm all for that. I've introduced legislation, H.R. 19, that would do just that. Um, I'm for keeping the cost down. Her, the costs under what she's for would go up dramatically. Medicare for all. She talks about universal health care. I'm for universal coverage, but what I'm not for is have a government plan where it's completely taken over. That's what she's for. And Medicare for all, you've got a system which, which basically right now, Medicare is so important to so many seniors, it, but it's under financial strain right now. If you put Medicare for all on top of that, it's going to completely collapse and destroy uh, health care for our senior citizens. We cannot let that happen. Okay, time. Let's move on here because I want to get another important question in. If Joe Biden is elected president next month, he wants to raise taxes on people with an income above $400,000. He would also raise taxes on corporations by raising the corporate income tax. Mr. Shabbat, my first question is for you. So first, would you support it? And if you wouldn't, why shouldn't we tax the people making more the most. Yeah, Does we, that make we sense? already are taxing people much more who make more money. That's just a fact. People at upper income levels pay a whole lot more in tax and they should. Uh, and if you believe Biden's only going to be able to raise taxes just on the wealthy, you've been smoking something. I don't mean you in particular, but anybody that believes that. Uh, Biden wants to raise taxes on everybody. So does she. And if you look at that Green New Deal, 70% income taxes, that's what it would have to go up to. It would take away uh, the ability for us to have private health 
health insurance, um, it would have a guaranteed income, which sounds kind of nice, but a guaranteed income to everybody even people who refuse to work. So you could be somebody who says, I'm not gonna work, just send me money. She's for going along with that. I say that's just nuts and the American people shouldn't have to support that. That's why I supported the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which reduced, now liberals like Kate Schroeder will tell you, oh, that was just tax cuts for the rich, that was just wealthy. And the wealthy did get their tax cut, but virtually everybody else did too. And if you look at our community here in Cincinnati, the average family of four had their taxes cut by $2,400. That means clothes for your kids going back to school. That means maybe you can go on a vacation if we ever get past COVID. It means maybe you can put a down payment on a new car. And that, so it was real money. And 85% of the people in this country had their taxes cut. What she wants to do and what the Democratic presidential candidate wants to do is raise taxes. Under Biden's plan, it would be four trillion dollars taxes would go up. We're all going to hit. Anybody that believes it's just going to be wealthy people, it's not true. Ms. Schroeder, would you support raising taxes and Joe Biden's plan? Look, I believe we need to have a fair tax system. So I think it is unfair right now that somebody like our president pays 750 dollars in taxes when we have a cashier down here at Kroger's that's paying more than double that it needs to be fair everyone needs to be able to pay their fair share I do not support raising taxes on the middle class anyone making less than 400,000 I think we have a, a crisis in this country where we're losing our middle class we haven't had the levels of wealth and equity that we have now since the Great Depression. And it's making us less competitive as a country to be able to compete with other countries because we do not have that strong middle class. And it is because people like my opponent voted for a tax bill that gave 83% of the benefits to the top 1% of Americans, to the uber wealthy and to large corporations and ran up our deficit, 20 trillion on his watch. That, that bill alone raised it 2 trillion. We need to support and rebuild our middle class. That is a huge part of how we move forward. Okay. She's, I gotta respond to what she just said. Quickly. Um, relative to whether or not she's for raising that, first of all, she says she's, she's for a fair tax system. Well, who's not for a fair tax system? That doesn't tell you anything. She's avoiding the question. Um, the bottom line is she's for that Green New Deal and that would raise taxes to 70% and we're talking about everybody that means people at lower income levels that means people at middle income levels and wealthier people 70% think of the federal government that's not even counting with the state and the city and townships and the rest of them I mean that means most of your money is going to be going to the government that's be, what she's for okay. to be clear I do not support the Green New Deal and I think the congressman um, having trouble listening, but I do not support the Green New Deal. I also share his concerns about the price tag on it. Okay, all right, so let's, uh, we're gonna shift gears here. You both have done, I think, a very good job of attacking each other in ads and perhaps even at times here tonight. But I want you to tell me one thing that you admire about your opponent. So let's try to end on a positive tonight. Ms. Schroeder, you're first. Sure, I think the Congressman has has been in Congress a long time, and I give him credit that he has deep roots in this community, and he is a teacher and has, I think, strong values, and I appreciate that um, he has served our community. I think anyone that steps up to public service deserves um, deserves respect for that. And I do think, you know, I present a strong alternative that sometimes people can be in Washington too long, but I think that I am grateful for his service. 
Mr. Shabbat? Yeah, I mean, my opponent, uh, Ms. Schroeder, overcame something that's very tough to overcome, and we wish her nothing but the best in the future, overcoming cancer, as she did. Um, there's a lot of people in this community and country, you know, communities all over the country. My, my father uh, died of uh, kidney cancer uh, and, uh, you know, miss him tremendously. Uh, and my, my mother-in-law, my wife's mom, is, is 100 now, and she's doing great. Um, her three sisters all all died of, of cancer, and she's 100 now. So it just goes to show, you know, it can happen. It can hit anybody. But I know that she, that's a tough struggle that, that she made, and, and she's run a hard race. I mean, we obviously disagree on a whole range of things, as you've seen, but I'm not going to, uh, you know, say anything anything bad at all. You know, good good luck to you. And uh, I'm not saying I hope you win, but uh, we, we wish you nothing, nothing but the best down the road, unless you're running against me again. So <laughs> thank you. Nice try, both of you. <laughs> all right, this now brings us to our closing statement tonight. And Ms. Schroeder, you, uh, by virtue of the coin toss, you are first. You have 90 seconds. Thank you, Shree. And thanks to all the viewers for tuning in tonight. I think there is a very clear difference in this race in terms of between the candidates who we're fighting for. My opponent is fighting for wealthy donors and to protect his career. And I'm fighting for you. I am fighting for the parents who are falling behind at work because they can't keep up with childcare. For the grandparents who can't see their kids and their grandkids in the same way. For all the small business owners who are doing everything they can to hold on for one more day and one more week. We are at a point in our country where we have been electing leaders for so long that tear us apart and people are suffering. And we need leaders that rise to the occasion of this moment. I've spent my career bringing business skills to public health, solving complex challenges with governments and businesses, reducing drug prices and expanding access to treatment. And I love this community. And I believe that we deserve better leadership. For 24 years, Congressman Shabbat has been representing this district. We've given him 12 chances to deliver results for this community. And I'm asking for one. In Congress, I will work tirelessly to bring results to this community in health care, in jobs, in investment and in infrastructure. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. You can read more about me at kateforcongress.com. And thank you so much. I hope to earn your vote. Thank you so much. And our final closing statement comes from Mr. Shabat. You have 90 seconds. Thank you, Cherie, and thanks for moderating, moderating this debate this evening. Uh, thank you, Ms. Schroeder, and thanks for all those folks at home that have taken the time uh, to watch this, uh, this debate. You know, there really is a clear difference uh, in this election. You have a clear choice to make. Um, Ms. Schroeder likes to say, oh, he's been there too long. Um, you know, it's not by accident uh, that I was able to craft and implement uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, which saved so many jobs in our community. A quarter of a million, think of that. Um, we have about 730,000 people who live in this district, so that's about one out of every three people who live here, and that includes children, had their jobs saved because of this. Um, and it was the fact that I'd been there a while and was respected by my colleagues. I have a lot of relationships there, and I work in a bipartisan uh, manner with Democrats to get this done. It saved so many jobs. We got more money about three billion dollars uh, more small businesses got loans over 17,000 most importantly 256,000 jobs uh, were saved um, I'm endorsed by 
both the FOP, Fraternal Order of Police, and the Democratic Sheriff, uh, Jim Neal of Hamilton County. Why? Because I'm for safe communities, and they've looked at my record over the years. I'm for making sure that you're safe in your home and across uh, your community. Um, and I will continue to work as, to, as hard as I possibly can to continue to deliver these results uh, for you. So thank you for your vote in the past. Uh, I think I've earned another one this time. Uh, I really appreciate your help and, and God bless you all and God bless America. Thank you. Well, I just want to thank both of you candidates for being here tonight. As I was saying before we got started, I know it's close to Election Day. Two weeks from tonight is Election Day, and already, of course, early voting is underway. By the way, we have detailed information about how you can cast your vote. Go to our website, WLWT.com. And you can also see on our website any portion of this debate. Again, if you'd like to watch it, maybe you joined us late, go to WLWT.com. Click on Commitment 2020. One week from tonight, we're hosting two debates for you, one in the Ohio State House and then one for Hamilton County Commissioner. For all of us here at WLWT, thanks again for joining us. I'm Sheree Palello. Have a great night. We've all seen it. That check engine light in our car. Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast.